Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey, all, welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I want to share with you some thoughts post um, NCAA championship game, football game. If any of you watched, as I did, uh, I don't watch many sports. I don't watch actually any sports except maybe the Winter Olympics, some of the Summer Olympics, and NCAA Division I football. Hey, what can I say? I grew up in Nebraska. That's all we had back in the day. Honestly, that's all they have to this day. I love Nebraska, but they are not known for professional sports because they ain't got none. But what they have, or what they had, is Cornhusker football. They're not so great. They'll come back. Don't you worry. However, um, who is great this year? Well, it was either the Washington Huskies or the Michigan Wolverines. Now, I went into it thinking for sure the Washington Huskies were going to win, not by much, but they were going to win. But their quarterback, um, I just blanked on his name, Penix, I don't want to get like bleeped on by saying that, P-E-N-I-X, um, and I know his name and I just forgot it. So quarterback Penix and, sorry, and um, J.J. McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy is the Michigan quarterback, are both top-notch players. However, however, you just can't compare what happened last night. I mean, it was a case study in two quarterbacks gone, going two different directions in a game. These guys were both more than qualified. Michael Penix, the third or junior or something like that. Michael Penix, junior. So... Top, top notch. However, one fell apart and one had a great game. I wouldn't say it was a, you know, his best game. I watched his previous game. Was it against Texas? Alabama? Alabama. Um, it, he's a stellar performer, but last night was good. It wasn't great. Why am I talking about all of this? Because none of that compared what happened on the field. None of it compared to what happened before the game. Now, I didn't, I've not watched one single Michigan game all year. I'm not a fan. Um, I was hoping they would lose. Sorry, no go blue. But you know what? You have a great quarterback, and you, you all won. I'm not a huge Huskies fan, but I have reasons why. And they're going into the, well, I guess they're both in the Big Ten. I don't know. I just don't like the Wolverines. Neither here nor there. But that is to say I haven't watched one single game. So I watched at the beginning of the game this young man, what is he, 20, early 20s, go into a stadium that was filling up quick. I mean, I think by peak of the end of the night, what, some 30-some-odd million people were watching? So at least millions of people are already tuned in. And this quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, has a pregame ritual. I just didn't know anything about it. And he goes and he sits down underneath his goalpost. And what does he? how does he sit? He sits in... I don't know if it was cross-legged, maybe it was full lotus, half lotus, but he sits there in a meditative style. I was like, what is going on? And then I looked it up, and yes, lo and behold, he spends 10 minutes prior to every game doing meditation. I didn't look at what kind of meditation. I didn't care what kind of meditation. Why? Because this is a remarkable 
I don't know, I would call it defiant stand in logotherapy and Viktor Frankl's terminology, a defiant stand. Why is this the defiant stand? I mean, so what? He's going to sit in meditation for a few minutes under the, the goalpost in front of a few million, 30 million people. There are so many reasons why this is a defiant stand. This is such an act of, I think, courage. Why? Well, let's just take that word courage. Courage comes from the Latin word core, which means heart. I mean, I've sat in meditation at airports before. I, I sit in some variation of meditation every single day, have for decades, I don't know, even maybe up to a quarter century, but maybe not every day, but most days. I have had many times when I've been out and about and I've been uncomfortable. Now, we live in a time when it's much easier. So what do I do? I either put on my shades or I put in my air uh, buds or, and I'll walk down, sometimes I'll do a walking meditation and I'll actually be talking to spirit or God or myself or whatever. It doesn't actually look crazy anymore. It's sort of normal. This guy doesn't put in AirPods, maybe he did, but he, he didn't put on sunglasses. He didn't hide. He, I mean, the opposite of that. He's sitting on a football field at the, on the you know world stage, and he's meditating with his eyes shut. Now, I honestly don't know if I could have that kind of level of discipline to actually get into a meditative state. One of the things I hated about being a synagogue rabbi was, you know, we pray, which probably shouldn't be so shocking. I struggle with prayer. Um, which is probably a job hazard if you're a clergy. And one of the reasons why I resigned, because I really don't know how I feel about prayer. I have conflicted feelings about it, but I don't have conflicted feelings about meditation, about quieting, about getting centered. However, I couldn't pray and I couldn't meditate when I had a thousand people watching me on Yom Kippur or whatever the number was. It just felt jarring, unnerving. It's because it's I'm not a master. I mean, if I was a master, I'd sit there and maybe J.J. McCarthy is. He certainly is a master on the field. So it was unnerving to have people look at you in an airport or on the pulpit in Yom Kippur or 30 million people staring at you while you're sitting under the goalpost. Unbelievable. So the guy opens his heart every game day. He goes out, he sits, and he meditates. Why else is this so remarkable? Because meditation has this ridiculous connotation of being soft. I'm not saying, you know, anything more than that. It's just perceived as soft, as weak, at least by the guys that I coach, I counsel, I hang out with, I know I guy. Now, it's certainly, that image has opened up to them, softened to them, and many men today are meditating in ways they wouldn't have 10, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, my grandfather for sure, but it's still got a connotation of light your incense, buy your Zafu and Zabutan meditation pillows and whatnot, all your gadgets, decorate your office like B, and that's what it means to meditate. And then you got to play Enya music, God help you. You got to say Om, Om, Om. You've got to feel peaceful. You've got to think happy thoughts. Just print a, paint a pretty little picture in your mind. That's Bob Ross from uh, the painting commercial back in the 70s. That's not meditation. Meditation is rough. Meditation is tough. Meditation is not for the faint of heart. I'm going to look up a quote real quickly because I forgot about this one, but man, is it a good one. Um, I guess the blessing and the curse of having technology right in front of you. But it's so worthy. So let me share with you this quote that I have here. And it is, um, 
by Sant Keshavadas, Saint Keshavadas, an Indian guru, and he says, "Go ahead and light your candles, and burn your incense, and ring your bells, and call out to God. But watch out, because God will come, and He will put you on His anvil, and He'll fire it up, and He'll forge you, and beat you, and beat you, and beat you until brass turns into pure gold." So that's meditation. That's prayer. That's meditation. Meditation kicks you in the ass. It is the hardest thing to do to quiet the mind. You don't. You don't need to spend money on anything. You shouldn't spend money on anything. Now, if you want to spruce up your space, go for it. But you know what? It sometimes it is such a distraction to have a pretty space. It's sometimes almost a. It's it's a, it's a bypass. Right? It's a way to bypass doing the real work. Because if you get all the, the accoutrements, all of the crap, the spiritual crap that I need, you know, I'll be a spiritual junkie. Um, and I'll walk the walk. But I don't know. I'll talk the talk. But I don't know if I'll walk the walk. Or I'll talk about talk, walking the walk. But it's just a lot of talk. I see this so much every day, all day, out there in the world. I go to yoga and all I hear is yoga babble half the time. It is reading from Glennon Doyle's book or Brene Brown's book or great books, but oh my God, I see why my brothers have looked at um, meditation a little bit suspect. Meditation comes from warrior traditions. I mean, yoga. I just went to yoga and they told me all the things I needed. I needed the $120 mat, and I needed the $200 Lulu pants, and I needed the spray to spray off my mat, and I needed all this other crap. I couldn't believe how much they wanted uh, me to need them and how much they wanted me to pay them. I was disgusted. Why? Because yoga was developed by Hindu warriors to get ready for battle, to have the physical physicality they needed to go into battle, but also have the emotional and the mental readiness to go into battle. Same with Buddhist meditation. Go to at least the Theravada meditation um, teacher, and it is not om, om, om. It is turning your anvil, right, or your was it your anvil into brass or your ass into gold or something like that? It is not easy. You get slapped with a bamboo stick if you are caught nodding. So the bottom line is this great warrior on the battlefield last night, and he took so many hits. The guy is a warrior. Anybody who plays football is at least a at least a soldier. But the warrior is an inner move. It's an inner stance. It's an inner development, and that's why he is a warrior partially because of what he did on the field, but I think even more importantly because of what he did off the field just prior to getting onto that field. And I can't thank him enough because when I find guys like this, or I, or I hear about the Navy SEALs and their box breathing training, I have a video on that in my toolbox I can get you to if you want. I hear about um, rough and tumble macho dudes who do the real battles of life. And that's, yes, I thank you for your service if you're, you know, a cop, if you're first responder, if you're a soldier, if you're if you're a ball player, right? Thank you for for entertaining us in that case, or for your service and duty in those other cases. I respect you, but the bottom line is, having coached, counseled, and guided so many of them, returning from Iraq and Afghanistan, sitting on this couch and talking about their post-traumatic stress, working through it right here, so that they don't kill themselves. Why do you think? 
Suicide is an epidemic with our veterans. Why? Because the real battle for them starts when they come home. Can they get back into their minds and settle that down long after their body has been settled down? Can they go into the work of sitting quietly, right? Blaise Pascal, who said all of a man's problems could be solved if he could learn sit to learn to sit quietly in an empty chamber, to learn to sit quietly in a room, to be by himself, to still the noise, and to like the man that he finds underneath all that noise. Or as the book I'm writing right now says, as he goes to the mirror and sees what that mirror has to say, a man, a woman, anybody has to settle down their mind to bring down those noisy thoughts, a lot of recriminating thoughts, a lot of accusatory thoughts, a lot of thoughts of self-hatred, self-harm in the case of soldiers, of shame. Everything comes tumbling down upon us in those moments when we are trying to meditate, at least at first. So it takes a warrior to go out on the battlefield or the football field and to sit there. And I would argue that it wasn't that 10 minutes that he sat there that won him the game. It was the 10 minutes before that and the 10 before that and probably days and years and even at least a decade maybe of this kid playing football and learning to master not only his body, which he has done, and the sport, which he has done, but his mind. Thank you, J.J. McCarthy. So for all of you listening, especially my men, because I'm focused right now on Man Uprising, my program to help men rise up in their life, but especially in the second half of life, you cannot rise up until you sit down. The rules of the morning of life have gotten us into trouble, and they say get out there and do and become and achieve and acquire. And you know what, Michael Penix Jr., I'm sorry, I'm like 12 years old when I say his name. Um, he... He had the same skills as J.G. McCarthy. Arguably, I'd say he had better skills in the game that I saw him play the week before. And I can't remember. Was it Texas or Alabama? I watched them both. Either one. He was a master. So what was the difference between last week and this week? This week, he didn't have what McCarthy had. He didn't have a grip over his mind. It clearly lost him his game. This is the work of warriors to sit down before you can rise up. So what does that mean? Don't go by... Um, a yoga mat or a meditation mat or any mat. Don't go spend money on Lulu's. Guys, do not spend money on Lulu's. Do not think that there is anything you have to do that's outside of you, anything you, you have to acquire, anywhere you have to go. This is morning of life crap. This is the stuff they sell you in the morning. All you need in the afternoon is what we say in Yiddish, your tuchis and a chair or the floor or a park bench or when you're in your car, but please be in park, not driving. That's all you need to meditate. So let's talk just briefly. That's what you need. What do you need to do? This is one of the defining questions, challenges I've gotten over the past 25 years in guiding all people from all backgrounds when it comes to meditation. I don't know how to meditate. That's because, again, the morning of life has duped you into thinking there is some thing out there. What is meditation? I speak from my tradition, Kabbalah. There are two types of meditation. There's heat bodedut, and I think that's what most of us think of when we think of meditation. Heat boded comes from the word um, lavad, which means alone, and it's a reflexive verb, so it's making yourself alone. 
you could be in a crowded room and it's a making, it's a willing, it's a consciousness to be alone, not to be isolated, not to be withdrawn, but can you be alone? Can you be comfortable in your own skin? Can you quiet your mind? Now again, I don't think it's the easiest thing to do in a crowded room or on a park bench. I have my space. I go either here when I'm at work or at home I have a space. But it doesn't matter where. Sometimes I'll just be sitting in the backyard and quieting. And just quieting from what? Well, here's you know the confusing thing. So many people say, I can't do it. I can't do it either. And I've been doing it for 25 years. Meditation masters, and I am not a master, can't do it either because our brain is always on. For as long as we're here, it's burning and churning. Your goal isn't to stop it. It's to quiet it. It's to get underneath it. It's to not allow you to take you far afield. And when it does, you simply say, there I go again, right? Like a white snake song, <laughs> there I go again. Um, and bring it back, whatever you need. And this is where mantra comes in. I don't have a Sanskrit mantra. I don't have a Aramaic mantra, which they use in Kabbalah. Who cares? Make up your own mantra. Or don't use a mantra. Or just say the word Om or, or Ah or whatever you need. Or just name it, right? There I go again. This is called the white snake converse, uh, meditation. And bring it back to the center. And there I go again and bring it back. And as you start doing this, you start paying attention, you start harnessing the energy. You start bringing it back because what we do is we send energy out in 360 degrees and it's everywhere and there's a little of us here and a little of us there. The work of meditation, or at least of heat bodha dude, this type, is to gather back the energy, to harness it, and then after quieting the noise, and that can be a minute, that can be a five minutes. That can be, for J.J. McCarthy, 10 minutes. For me, it's about 20 minutes. For some people, it's two hours. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other. Just a process of quieting, and that's key. It's a process. It's never an end. It's a means to quiet, and we do it again and again and again. And as we do, we start becoming the quarterback on our field. So when the threats are coming at us from rushing linebackers or blitzing safeties, we don't panic. We stay calm. We stay in this Zen um, place of clarity. It doesn't mean the battlefield has stopped. It doesn't mean we're not about to take a big hit. This is one of the biggest things that I can see it does for J.J. McCarthy or, or others in those situations. When the footsteps are coming, he keeps his composure in the pocket and he stands still and he stands strong. And you can tell when he's in that space. Now, the first pass of the um, playoff game why can't I remember? I know you'll send me the, was it Alabama or Texas? He threw it and it was um, intercepted and then it was found out not to be intercepted. I think it was Alabama. So the bottom line was, it's going to drive me nuts. Um, the bottom line was he kept his composure after that and he got on and he won the game. This is what Tom Brady is known for. This is what great soldiers on the field do and that's what makes them warriors. So as you sit there and you breathe, there's no outcome other than here I am, here I am, here I am, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, there I go again, there I go again, there I go again. And this is how you take back your power. This is how you, as Viktor Frankl has said, um, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Right between things happening to us and our reacting or responding, there is a space. 
And our work is to get into that space and to take a deep breath in that space and to pay attention to what's happening to me in this space. Maybe your field, uh, your, your football field is at work or it's in the bedroom with your spouse or it's at the kitchen table with your kids or it's on the phone with your mom and you feel the space shrinking because they got your triggers and, 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 and you're going in 50 directions. Even there, you don't have to sit down, you don't have to put on yoga clothes, you can just take a deep breath. Between stimulus and response, there is a space and I'm gonna expand that space just by paying attention to it, just by quieting the other thoughts for a moment, just by minimizing the distractions. And now I can stop reacting and choose my response. So that can be your meditation practice. This meditation practice can happen while you're walking. Again, I do this when I'm out walking and I'll listen to a song or I'll listen to a, um, a, a talk on meditation or I'll, more often I'll just walk quietly and I'll pay attention to my breath. Um, there's nothing easy about this. You have something like 80,000 thoughts a day you have to, in some ways, go to battle with some of those because if you don't, some of them will want to destroy you. And if you don't stand guard at the gates of your garden, they will get in. And for those veterans on my couch, our work is to seal off those gates, only opening them for what is good and what is true and what has our best interest and what is loving and shutting out the rest. And this is the work of J.J. McCarthy under the goalpost. This is the work of the veteran on this couch. And this is the work of you when you're in traffic or when you're at work or when you're returning home. This is a warrior tradition. It isn't soft. It certainly isn't easy. And when you go deeper and deeper and you start seeing things about the world, about the people around you, but most of all about yourself that you don't like, you're going to want to get up and hightail it out from underneath that goalpost. You're going to want to run. That's what we've been taught in the morning of life, that when the going gets tough, the tough get going and they push on through. Well, you know what? That doesn't work in the afternoon of life and it doesn't work for a man who wants to rise up. When the going gets tough, stand in it. Don't get going. Sit in it and pay attention and have the courage to face it, whatever it is that presents itself to you. And that's what it means to meditate. I'm gonna save another type of meditation for another day called Heat Bonanut, neither here nor there. So these, this is the work that I'm doing with men. I have individual opportunities and I have small group opportunities. If you are interested or your husband, or you want your husband to be interested, or you know a man that's interested, Really, it's for anybody in their late morning and early afternoon of life. You can decide what that is, who's ready to stop living in reaction, to take back their power, stand up, rise up, and choose their response to life. I'll talk to you. I'll see you in the next podcast. Until then, defy your spirit. Don't, don't defy your spirit. Defy your number. Live your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.